in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and co-host, Chad Robinson. How are you, sir? I'm wonderful this afternoon. How are you doing? Good, good. We're doing it We're doing it in a whole new location. Yeah. Yeah, the was going to be the basement, but uh, the football's on, so wife and daughter have to watch that, and we are upstairs in the attic slash office. Yeah, it, it's like a fanboy layer in here. You've got, like, all kinds of... Uh... I don't know what you call it, memorabilia and, and accessories of, like, all kinds of stuff. Whether it be horror movies and Legos, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, every, everywhere. It's it's yep. uh, it's very fitting for the show. Lilo and Stitch, my Walking Dead comics, courtesy of the guests. Yeah. So, uh, today, though, I'm pretty excited. You know why? Why is that? First time guest. Oh, wow. Uh, joining us from the state of Virginia, Elizabeth Fickenshire. Did I do that right? You did. All right. How are you doing, Elizabeth? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful, warm, humid, as per the course. Uh, we don't have an autumn, really, in Richmond, Virginia. It just skips straight from summer to winter. So, tell the folks at home who you are and what do you do for a living? Well, I'm originally from West Virginia, and I've lived in Richmond, Virginia since 1995. Uh, for work, I'm the industry liaison for a software company that makes tools for third-party Amazon sellers, and I'm also a freelance writer. Very cool. Uh, so you went one state down, we went one state up, but what is the last movie you saw? I watch so many movies in a week, it's crazy. I rewatched H2O on Tuesday. Uh, but then I recently went to Utah for work, and I watched a couple movies on the plane while I was doing some work on my computer. So I watched some, but to the two horror movies I could find on the in-flight entertainment. In 10 years, we can talk about those. <laughs> okay. Anyone we would recognize? One of them was called Greta. Oh, yeah. It had Chloe Grace Moritz. It was it was interesting. It was definitely a good, a good thriller kind of movie and the other one was I, I want to do the pronunciation correct but it was La Ilorina oh yes La, La Liorna yes yes yeah yeah and so it was sort of the uh, the insidious universe which are uh, uh, so the priest from the Annabelle movies was the crossover character in that one I did not know this yeah yeah it was he has this flashback moment where he says the I didn't believe in the supernatural until, and then there's a picture of the Annabelle doll, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, the Conjuring universe continues. I I try and keep up with that. I I, I somehow have missed this installment. I'll have to look into that. I got off after The Nun. I haven't seen that yet either. Didn't enjoy it. I was super excited about The Nun. I was super excited about The Nun, I'm not going to lie, but I was not uh, overwhelmed. I was underwhelmed by The Nun. So, what was your first movie theater memory? Empire Strikes Back. 
I'm dating myself. I was born in 1977, so I was about three when Empire came to theaters, and my mom took me because she's a an enormous Star Wars fan. Well, that is raising your kids right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, uh, what was your take when you went in? Like, so you're uh, like, this is, that's a pretty dark movie for when you're young. Well, I definitely wanted to be Luke Skywalker. I was miss, you know, I was obviously young and 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 misled at that at that point of my life. But uh, we had HBO when I was a kid, so when the when the, a New Hope came out, you know, on HBO for mass distribution. I was able to see that and then Empire again, and I, I grew up on those movies. So we won't talk about the prequels so much or the new stuff that Disney's doing, but the, the original trilogy is uh, is canon in my family and uh, and watched regularly. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the best movie to watch when you're homesick and you don't feel good? What's your pick-me-up? I actually watch horror movies more than I watch any other kind of movies. So I have a soft spot for Insidious, The Last Key, because it features Lynn Shay more than the rest of the Insidious movies do. And I think she's splendid. I just love her. I also am very, very fond of Babe Pig in the City. It's so much better than the first Babe. It's surreal and satisfying, truly quotable lines. And I just love that movie to pieces. So that's another comfort movie for me and um and i have a handful of other labyrinth is one Uh um i I think i first saw that when i was 11 so my first official celebrity crush was david bowie that's actually a response we've gotten on this show a couple of times (laughs) you might be like the third person to say exactly that about the labyrinth so people of a certain age you just can't deny bowie might be the the most enticing version of bowie definitely cinematically a little bit of a wuss in the hunger, but <laughs> um, yeah, Labyrinth is definitely up there. Babe with the power. So, uh, what is your scariest movie moment? You know, it's funny because I watch horror a lot, so I don't really get scared, which is kind of a bummer because that's what horror movies are for. And I've loved horror movies ever since I was a kid. I, I was deathly afraid of the vampire from The Electric Company, the kids' show. <laughs> um, which is odd because he was a vegetable vampire, but also uh, at that you know around that time as a kid, the Benicula series came out of books and too. So maybe I'm just afraid of, of vegetable sucking vampires instead of blood sucking vampires. But yeah, the the Electric Company vampire was super super scary to me. Yeah, uh, that that is an unexpected answer given your wide breadth of horror movies. I wasn't seeing that. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, today, what movie are we going to do, Chad? We are going to do uh, 1998's Halloween H2O. Colon 20 years later. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know me. I like, to, I like to get the colon in there. Uh, subtitles and everything. Yes. Uh, so this movie comes out in 1998, as Chad mentioned. The movie has a budget of $17 million. It grosses $55 million, so it's the highest grossing movie in the Halloween movie franchise. I'm not sure if that still holds true with the 2018, but the, that's the best piece of information I had at this point in time. So this movie places at 41 on the box office on the year. It uh, places ahead of Small Soldiers in 42, and it places just behind What Dreams May Come at uh, 40. So that's a good one, by the way. I like small soldiers. I'll defend that. Oh, well. Okay. I'll take the over. You'll take the under on that. One. <laughs> okay. so, and uh, number one movie on the year that year was Saving Private Ryan, and uh, which uh, probably has more blood in it than uh, Halloween H2O. <laughs> 
Uh, More people died, that's for sure. Definitely. Uh, IMDb gives Halloween H2O a 5.7, and the critics of Rotten Tomatoes give it a 52%, not particularly high, and the audience scores just behind at 49%. Didn't win any awards, so with that being said, Elizabeth, have you seen Halloween H2O before? If so, what was your first time? What was it like coming back to it now? Well, I first saw it in the theater in 1998, which was super exciting to me because I had seen the one with Paul Rudd in 1995, and that was sort of a disappointment. I went by myself, actually. It was my first year in Richmond, and I went to see that in a theater that was, like, way across town, and I didn't know where it was going, and then it was, like, 80-something minutes long, and there was hardly any Dr. Loomis in it because uh, Donald Pleasance died during the filming of that movie, I think, but... yeah. I was super excited about the return of Jamie Lee and and how this was going to just pick up after Halloween 2. So we could sort of forget all that nonsense that happened in between. So that was exciting to me. So I saw it in 1998 when it came out in the theater, and I've watched it pretty frequently. I've got all of the Halloween movies on DVD, and it's one of the ones in highest rotation. There's a scene that we'll talk about later that is one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever. And uh, it's sort of uh, an odd, when I'm feeling disenfranchised or, or not empowered at all, I, I watch this movie for some reason. Um, and because it's because of the scene that we're gonna talk about later, so. So it's comfort food. I have, a, I have an odd emotional, co- yeah, yeah, I have an odd emotional connection to this movie. <laughs> Fantastic. Chad, what about you? Yeah, I, I did not see this movie when I, it came out. It was one of those, it was R, I couldn't see them. I was too young for it. So it, it took me a couple years after probably mid-2000s when I saw it. And, you know, my context before was Halloween 5 and 6 and even Halloween 4. And everyone's, yeah, everyone's down on those. So this was very exciting. I was thrilled to have Laurie Strode back. So I, I was very excited. I watched this last year. I did a binge of all the Halloween movies, including Rob Zombie's Back to Back to Back. And finished off with Halloween 2018. So, yeah, I, I had just seen it as recently as last year, and it's up there for the Halloween series for me. What is it like returning to it now today? I still enjoy it. I feel like t- Halloween 2018 has hurt its legacy a little bit. Cause H- By writing it out? H2O came in. Uh, this movie doesn't exist in a vacuum. It, it came in off of four, five, and six that people were mad at, particularly five and six. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and so this was the return. And then Halloween 2018 kind of ignored everything else and still had Jamie Lee Curtis. And so it, it's tough. Like, this movie was the best Halloween movie in 20-some years. Hmm, interesting. So for me, this one is special for me because this hit me in 1998, and I had not seen the original Halloween, but the oh no, I know, I know. And uh, but I had seen the advertisements for H two O. MTV was pushing it real hard, and I yes. was, yeah, they were. And well, LL Cool J. <laughs> that yeah, I mean right, <laughs> yeah. This was definitely for the uh, MTV generation of this time of you know. Of, oh yeah, we're cramming teen heartthrobs in left and right. And... Yeah, yeah, Josh Hartnett for sure. Oh, that was his first film too. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, uh, and Michelle Williams Michelle. from Dawson's Creek. Anyway, everybody was really excited for this triumphant return. The advertisement campaign really caught my eye. And for some reason, I had never been open to horror movies. But what this did was it put Halloween as a series and a franchise back on the map. 
because people were responding well to this one. And so what was happening is AMC and other channels were starting to put the original ones into heavier rotation than they had previously. Or maybe they had been there all along and they really hadn't been on my radar. And again, getting that marketing behind H2O put it put this franchise on my radar. Maybe you can tell me, Elizabeth, did Halloween kind of go away and come back with this? Or was it there all along and I just didn't notice? Well, Halloween was always there. It was there in an underwhelming kind of way with with especially 5 and 6, I think. Although there was plenty of marketing behind those movies. But this was, this was the return of Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. And that was what everybody kind of wanted. She's talked about in all but, I think, three, right? Yes. But but she's not there, and in this one she's there, and it, it, it feels to me a lot more like a Halloween movie, like one and two did, even though there was no Carpenter involvement. Yeah. Actually, from what I've read, she she Jamie Lee actually came up with this idea, and she was like, wouldn't it be cool if, and she asked John Carpenter if he was interested, and he said, nah, it's okay. Later on, she actually said it was a paycheck movie, which is really disappointing to me, because I think she should be proud of her performance in this one, but, and she did come back and do Halloween 2018, which totally ignores this movie, like we talked about before, but I, I feel like this was a way bigger deal than any of the previous movies before uh, Halloween 2. Yeah, all the other major franchises were sputtering. You had Nightmare on Elm Street. They had just come out with a, a fairly bad movie that had kind of ended the franchise until New Nightmare. Um, Child's Play had become a mockery of itself at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Friday the 13th, uh, they were getting ready to come up with Jason X, and that's not saying good things for the franchise. Uh, although no. <laughs> I kind of like as corny as it is, but uh, the ninth Friday the 13th was not good. The only major player that was doing well, and we see influence in this movie, is Scream. And because it was a new franchise, it was something fresh. Yeah. And we'll get into the Scream influence later, but again, I mentioned that I hadn't seen any Halloween movies, so it was Halloween H2O that made me go back and see the original, and I was really taken by the original John Carpenter movie, so I always will appreciate... Uh, Halloween H2O for putting the 78 John Carpenter's Halloween on my radar. I refused to watch this until I got to it. I didn't realize there were that many sequels in between it, so it actually took me several years to get to Halloween H2O because as Chad sometimes I guess me crap about this, but I, I have to see everything in the order it came out. I'm, I'm a <laughs> chronologist. This, this had some pretty relevant context i mean <laughs> so i enjoyed the movie at the time uh, i don't think that it holds a candle to the 78 one or the halloween 2 i feel like those are th- oh no and so those two to me are on another level but after slogging through the the in-betweens it, it definitely was a, a new it, it was it was a kind of a throwback to the quality of of Halloween 1 and Halloween 2 and certainly way better than Halloween Resurrection that I hope we never talk about. We didn't prepare for um. this but could you, like <laughs> just out of curiosity could you guys rank your uh, Halloween movies? Oh yeah. Do we want to include Rob, Rob Zombie remakes? Uh, let's exclude Or do we want those. to exclude? Okay. Do whatever you want. I feel it's, like it's, I've it's, been it's, harsh enough to Mr. Zombie. Uh, I enjoy your music not your films sir. Do you want to go first Chad? Oh sure. I, I'm going to exclude the Rob Zombie movies, but they would be at the bottom if I if I were to do it. But uh, Resurrection is by far the worst. And mm-hmm. then Halloween 5, followed by Paul Rudd's Halloween 6, uh, then Halloween 4, uh, and then I think I'm going to put H2O, and then I'm going to go Halloween 2, 
Halloween 3 is my number two movie, and the original Halloween is my my top Halloween. Oh, I'm forgetting 2018. You know what? I'll put 2018 right after Halloween 3, so it will be number three for me. Man, you, you are always kind to Season of the Witch, the uh, the third one, the, I, the non-Michael Myers. I, I love it. I really do. It's uh, It's got one of the, it, probably the best ending of the entire series. Okay. Elizabeth, how about you? Uh, where, where are you on the uh, Halloween movies? I agree with Chad up until I think like number four. I would put, so I would put Season of the Witch at number five, 2018 probably at number four, H2O at number three, Halloween two is number two, and Halloween one is number one. I just, I love one and two. Yep, very fair. A whole, whole lot. Yeah, so for me, I'm a little, little different. My least favorite one, uh, let's just put the Rob Zombie ones in a special realm of bad. Uh, th- those, are, those are really down there for me. And then I'm going to go with The Revenge of Michael Myers, which is the fifth one. I really, really didn't like that one. It's the one that has all the comedic relief of these cops running around, and it's just a very poorly made movie. I would then go Resurrection would, would be there. I'm a little bit kinder to... Paul Rudd than you guys, so I'm going to go ahead and put the third one, Season of the Witch. Oh, he chewed every scene, though. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go and ahead. Then I go, and then I go Curse of Michael Myers with, with Paul Rudd there. Four, the, re- the Return of Michael Myers, uh, Halloween H2O. Then I go with the 2018 Halloween, then Halloween 2, and then Halloween. Okay. There's so, there are some similarities. Like, the bottom third is the same. I'm just... I have Season of the Witch a little bit lower than you guys. Yeah, I mean... And I, I'm a little nicer to Paul Rudd than you guys. Top three to four is Halloween, Halloween 2018, and Halloween 2. Yeah. So, and H2O's winding up in the top percentage of these two. So. Well, and in defense of Paul Rudd, honestly, it was his first film, right? And he had a really bad script to work with i just feel like in subsequent later paul rudd works when he does a fake creepy kind of voice he's he's evoking his his tommy character from the halloween film i feel like he he has spent his entire career making fun of that movie in a really really subtle way that maybe he himself doesn't even realize but in his defense he didn't have a lot to work with in that film that's fair that's fair yeah i think giving michael myers a backstory was was a flawed concept to begin with which they tried to do when it was a dumb backstory <laughs> and they they killed off jamie i don't like that yes no i don't either also i want to i want to throw one plug out there so while we're talking halloween h2o chad robinson here was in guest form on his first episode on i believe yeah in uh, episode four if uh, you're new to the show if you're a new listener go all the way back to episode four and listen to the episode that we did on 1978 John Carpenter we had a different co-host back then uh, co-creator John Flack but uh, Chad will be on it and uh, it'll be a good uh, primer for this one too so that being said there will be spoilers that lie ahead so if you have not seen Halloween H2O you may want to give this a pause go check out the movie and come back and enjoy it spoil this when we come back Christopher Walken here to tell you about my favorite podcast the retro movie round table it's a fun listen if you like movies. I myself have been in movies like Deer Hunter, Bed Zone, and Catch Me If You Can. Uh, If you like this podcast like I do, go to iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. Wherever you get your podcasts, give them a five-star review and comments on the show. I even gave them a like on Facebook. 
and wrote to John and Russell at Retro Movie Round Table at Yahoo.com. One of the great joys of my career was hearing the Retro Movie Round Table talk about my movies. Oh man, you're gonna love these guys. Wow. All right, we're back. And as previously mentioned, there will be spoilers that lie ahead. So if you haven't seen Halloween H20 20 years later, watch out. It's coming your way. Now, Elizabeth, for those who haven't seen this movie since 1998, can you refresh people's memories with what happens in it? You bet I can. The movie kicks off with Nurse Marion, who was Dr. Loomis's nurse from the first movie, and her house has been broken into. And she goes to her neighbor's house to call the cops, and their teenagers, a young, young Joseph Gordon-Lovett, and his friend. They call the cops, but he decides to go check out her house. And comes back, says nobody was there. She goes home, sees that all of her files have been rifled through. The file for Laurie Strode is gone. So, bum, bum, bum. She goes back next door to check on her neighbors, I think is the way it goes. And there's Joseph Gordon-Levitt with an ice skate through the face. She goes back to her house and is subsequently murdered by Michael Myers. Michael Myers is there. Laurie Strode is living as Carrie Tate, and she's the headmistress of an elite remote private school in California. She's a mom. She's got a teenage son, played by young Josh Hartnett. This is his first film role. She's a helicopter mom to the nth. She's a functioning alcoholic, control freak, totally wrought by the previous traumas of her life. Her son wants just to be a normal kid. He's got a girlfriend, young Michelle Williams, a best friend who's a wacky sidekick, and the wacky sidekick has a girlfriend. And basically, once we get to the school, obviously, we know Michael's coming for Laurie. Laurie kind of senses that Michael's coming for her. She thinks this on Halloween every year. Of course, it's Halloween would be a Halloween movie if it wasn't Halloween. All the kids are supposed to go to a camping trip in Yosemite. John, which is uh, Laura Strode's son, isn't allowed to go because she's super paranoid and super protective. And she ends up saying he can go. He pretends that he's going to go, but he stays because his girlfriend has to stay behind. And he and the girlfriend and their friend are going to have a party to celebrate Halloween because he's never celebrated Halloween because he knows his mom's backstory and he knows about Michael Myers. So, of course, Michael shows up, kills the friends because they're expendable in any Halloween movie. <laughs> it's always the friends first. Charlie gets his throat slit again in a dumb waiter. Uh, we get the first brutal stabbing scene of Charlie's girlfriend. She gets a, hung from a light fixture. Josh Hartnett and Michelle Williams' characters find them. There's a chase scene. They run. Everybody connects. And then we have the, the, the first standoff between Laurie and Michael Myers. Adam Arkins in it as the guidance counselor of the school. And Carrie's boyfriend, she tells him about uh, her past. Laurie manages to get her son and his girlfriend out of the school. Her boyfriend's dead at this point. He thinks that LL Cool J's character is dead and she decides she's going to confront Michael. Then it's just all Laurie versus Michael. And then, of course, there's the, we think he's dead, he's not really dead. At the end of the film, Laurie steals the ambulance that his supposed dead body is in. He, of course, gets up from the body bag that he's in. She hits the brakes, he flies through the window, she hits him, she runs off a cliff, she drives him up against a tree and he's trapped in between the vehicle and the tree and after a tender moment with her brother cuts his head off unceremoniously it's a great ending until you watch resurrection and then it's not um <laughs> a slow build you've got the the death at the very beginning of the two kids and nurse marion and then it's about an hour into the film before uh charlie and the girlfriend get it so there's a lot of build. There's a lot of character development with who Laurie is now as an adult. 
we get an idea of, of she and her son's relationship and his resentment of her overprotectiveness and paranoia and uh, functional alcoholism and all that kind of stuff. So there's some complexity built in there that I, I found interesting. Very thorough there. And so one of the things that they chose to do here, this movie decides to get rid of Halloween's three through six. Like completely, they're not mentioned. There's no mentioning of a daughter of Laurie Strode. There's no mentioning of the Halloween uh, season of the witch where the, yeah. the, there's the uh, candy that's... Uh... I, w- I wish the Silver Shamrock had had some kind of cameo yeah they did have the mask in 2018 they had the the mask from halloween 3 in a way for me i really like that they got rid of the other stuff if you couldn't tell by my rankings before i wasn't that into halloween's three through six so just going back and building on really strong foundations of one and two great strategy right off the bat what what, what do you think about that elizabeth I agree with that completely. So we've got a woman 20 years later who's dealing with the trauma. Because Halloween 1 and Halloween 2, I mean, Halloween 2 picks up the same night. Halloween 1 ends, right? So it's it's the same group of hours. What is it, like 24 hours to 36 hours is the first and second movies. And then this is 20 years later. So this is what happens when you go through that as a 17-year-old, when you watch your friends die and you find out that this maniacal silent stalking killer is your brother and he just keeps on not dying <laughs> 20 years later you've changed your name you faked your death you're the headmistress of an elite private school um and your demons are still haunting you that's a big part of the theme of this movie though is confronting your fear and it's interesting that the i don't want to get to talk about too much the 2018 movie is going to go a similar route but do you like the fact that laurie kind of has a transformation in this movie chad yeah, she's. I feel like she's the same character, to be perfectly honest. She's just traumatized a little bit uh, from the events of one and two. But I, I don't know that I really see the arc of confronting her fear. So, really? Yeah. I, I think she's petrified. Like she's living in absolute fear. She's changed her name. She's given her whole life up. She's basically walking on eggshells. Yeah. And by the like, she, but she's she also prepared. She. Uh, well. I mean, her son's threatened, and that kicks in the killer instinct. Yeah. So, kind of the uh, protective instinct. She loves something more than she fears Michael, you know? That's well put, yeah. Yep. But they did think, to your earlier question, they did think about including four in this movie. There were originally going to be newspaper clippings uh, that highlighted some of the things that happened in four, but they were ultimately cut. Well, I like four more than some of the other ones in between, but I'm still glad they cut it. I wish they had cut two, to be honest. No. I, I would rather get the familial relationship out of this as well. Like, I don't want her being his sister. Oh, okay. That, that was my big beef with the. I mean, if I could have the biggest beef with the Rob Zombie ones was that that was played up so much. That was like the point of the Rob Zombie films was the familial relationship and i think it was to give uh bless her heart sherry moon zombie a bigger role but um as always yeah well i mean at least he's loyal right but i I do feel like i mean she's she's 20 years older too so there's a there's a way that that a 37 year old woman is gonna approach a situation that that's different than the way a 17 year old approaches the situation right so she's in charge she's in charge of this school she's in charge of this this 17 year old son that she has she's a she's responsible or at least she's trying to be 
and the way she approaches it that's the scene that i keep talking about she she gets john and molly out of there she breaks the gate so nobody can get in or out she kicks the glass to get to the emergency axe and she walks up the hill screaming michael yeah you know i don't feel like the 17 year old laurie strode was really capable of that not at all in fact she just went like banging on the doors hysterically like let me in yeah. and the neighbors were home right and i and, and that's the scene that like i get tears in my eyes and i get chills every single time for some reason i emotionally connect to that in, in in a way that is probably really stupid and inappropriate but but i love that that is just well and you know the the classic john carpenter music starts playing and it, it's a halloween movie like you've never seen before in that moment because it's game on and Laurie's coming for him. And that's just so cool to me. Something that you see from a lot of horror movies at this era is there are references to the horror genre. Uh, and this movie in particular has a lot of references to Scream as well as other horror movies, but also to the original 78 Halloween movie. And I think one of the coolest examples of this is the classroom scene, which is reminiscent of the classroom scene from the 70s movie where Laurie is being in an English class and she's being viewed by Michael on the outside looking into her classroom. And it's a really creepy scene. And here we have Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Laurie, teaching a class and this time Michelle Williams's character is responding to it. And there's a foreshadowing element to that. Uh, I really like this scene. I think it's one of the cooler scenes, certainly in this part of the movie. Uh, it gets off to a little bit of a slow start. But Elizabeth, what do you think? What's your take on this scene? This really interesting scene because she's obviously the English teacher too. Because why wouldn't she be? <clears throat> and all the kids are in class, and she's teaching Frankenstein. She's trying to get them to talk about Victor confronting his monster. She gets Molly. That, that that's Michelle Williams' character's name. She gets Molly to to talk about. Uh, Victor Frankenstein and, and him confronting his monster and Molly says he's completely responsible for Elizabeth's death because he was so paralyzed by fear that he never did anything it took death for the guy to get a clue so then Laurie asks how Victor was able to confront the monster and Molly says I, Victor had reached a point in his life where he had nothing left to lose I mean the monster saw to that by killing off everyone that he loved Victor finally had to face it it was about redemption it was his fate which is super interesting and foreshadowy right because the scene that I love so much is when Laurie decides to confront Michael. It's not about her running. It's about her getting her son safe. It's about her confronting her monster. She might not have created her monster, but what I love so much about H2O is that Laurie decides she's not going to take it anymore. One and two are a fight for survival, and, and it, it's a wonderful display of fear and tenacity. Well put, and all of that is certainly true. Let's get into the cast here a little bit. Chad, why don't you introduce who's who in the cast for us? Sure. So we have Jamie Lee Curtis, who plays Carrie Tate, the headmistress of Hillcrest Academy. This is actually Laurie Strode. She had been in hiding. Unfortunately, the younger generation probably knows her as the Activia Yogurt Lady. No. <laughs> She's the screen queen. Oh, come queen. on. No. She is. But, uh... Might know her from Freaky Friday or True Lies as well. Yes, she is the Scream Queen. She was awesome in True Lies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we have Adam Arkin, who plays Will Brennan. He's Hillcrest's guidance counselor. Dr. Aaron Schutt at, on Chicago Hope. So we've got Also son of Alan Arkin. Yes. Yep. Not nearly as good as his dad. 
<laughs> not nearly. <laughs> Would have been super awkward if it was his dad, though. <laughs> but funnier. Uh, we have Michelle Williams, who's Molly Cartwell. That's uh, John Tate's girlfriend. She is Jen from Dawson's Creek, one of the teen heartthrob type things. Uh-huh. Going on, we've got Adam Han Bird, who is Charlie Devereaux. That's John Tate's friend. He's the young Alan Parrish in Jumanji. He's kind of a preppy friend. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. But he's wacky. He's wacky. I guess. Uh, he's wacky. Jody Lynn O'Keefe. She plays Sarah Wainthrope. That's Charlie's girlfriend. She's Cassidy Bridges from Nash Bridges. I actually knew her from a more recent, like, small cameo role. She was a pretty memorable prostitute in The Big Bang Theory. She, she wound up faking a Jewish accent and everything. It was a lot of fun. Interesting. Uh, Janet Lee, who is Norma Watson. That's Carrie Tate's secretary. Mrs. Scream Queen. Yes, she is Marion from Psycho. And we'll get to That's a delightful cameo. We'll get to those connections, I'm sure. Josh Hartnett mentioned this is his big role. He's John Tate, Laurie's son, Zeke from the faculty the same year. Hugo from O, Slevin from Lucky Number Slevin. LL Cool J, he plays Ronald Ronnie Jones, who's the security guard writing erotic novels on on company time. Uh, you'll know LL Cool J from Mama Said Knock You Out, he's Preacher from Deep Blue Sea, or Sam Hanna, if you're my w- wife and watch NCIS Los Angeles. More than just your wife watched that show, but yes. Yeah, it is It is obscenely popular. I never don't like LL Cool J in a role, incidentally. <laughs> and Chris Duran, he plays Michael Myers. He's just a, a Hollywood stuntman, so he, he's been involved in a lot of things. Oh, yeah, given some... That, that's a deep cut. I didn't take note of that one. So Jimmy Lee Curtis has played Laurie Strode in uh, films that released in five different decades, which is kind of fun. So she's in the 70s, uh, Carpenter Halloween. She's in Halloween 2. And uh, in the 2010s, she's in Halloween. Halloween H2O here as well. I, oh, Halloween Resurrection. Heavy sigh. Heavy sigh. But she's been doing Laurie Strode for five decades. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. She keeps coming back to it. Even though I got the feeling that this movie kind of felt like it would be the last. I don't know. Did you watch after the credits? I did. I, I usually do, but I'm not sure I did this time. 2018, I sat in the theater until the very bitter end, and right after the credits, you hear him breathe. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Well, there's already a sequel in the works. I didn't know this either. So yeah. They, they announced it. it. Are they going to name it Halloween 2020? I think it's Revenge or something like that. We've already had one of those. I know. The revenge we can again. have another. The re-revenge. <laughs> we, but we, accor- according to now, that revenge doesn't didn't happen. So We now have three movies in the series that are called Halloween. Can so. we put another colon in it and say, like, you know, 40 years later or whatever? What are we up to now? I'm uh, not, I've lost my... I'm not going to do the math right it's now. It's less but. fun when it's Halloween H4O. There you go. I, I cannot wait until they have geriatric people in like a, uh, like it's going to be reminiscent of Halloween too, like when in the hospital, but they're going to be in a retirement home and, and she's going to like have, like have a walker. Well, and what Michael. about Michael? I mean, doesn't he get old? That's true. And he'll, he'll have a scooter. Yeah. He's, he's got a cane shaped like a kitchen knife. Yeah. And, and or with a kitchen knife on the end. And yeah. She'll have like the tennis balls, like on the bottom feet of her walker. <laughs> so... It's coming. Don't don't say it. and don't act like you won't want to see it when it happens. Oh, I'll be first. 
opening night in the theater. Jamie Lee Curtis admitted that she only did the movie for paycheck, uh, which is something Elizabeth had alluded to earlier, uh, stating that it was uh, with the best intentions. It ended up coming back to it. The film had some good things in it about alcoholism and trauma, but in the end, she kind of just did it for the money. So, uh, And it did make money. It, it turned a lot of profit. Yeah. I mean, horror movies as a whole, as long as they're half-decent, will turn a good profit. And especially a storied franchise like this. Well, the cast that you're talking about here seems a little heavy, but the, like you mentioned, Hartnett, they get him early. Michelle Williams goes on to be a much bigger name later. Uh, L.O. Cool J sounds bigger because he's a musician, but as an actor, I don't know how hard he was to attain. I mean, I, no. I don't know that his uh, catalog of works is... Like I said, I think as an actor, he's attainable. Do not underestimate the, the staying power of Deep Blue Sea. Okay. <laughs> I, I've underestimated roll bounce. <laughs> uh, um, I'll accept that. But Deep Blue Sea, shark movie. If it's on TV, I'll watch it. Let's just say that. That and The Fifth Element. There are two of those that if it's on, I'll watch it. Every time. Even though this is Hartnett's first movie, he claims that he wasn't even interested in doing it until he found out Jamie Lee Curtis came back and was involved. So when it was just going to be Halloween 7 and it was literally going straight to video, Hartnett was thinking... I haven't been in a movie yet, but uh, no thanks. <laughs> like I said, all those other major franchises, they just weren't doing very well. I don't think the 90s was that big for horror in general. I don't think there were as many of them. Yeah. I mean, especially if you get out of like the early 90s, you've got Child's Play and Candyman. And again, some of those other franchises that you mentioned are still churning out some late uh, things. But by the late 90s, Scream is kind of a lighthouse. Well, yeah, the first Scream was 96, right? And it was already a riff on existing horror movies. So yeah. it's it's like the, it's, it's like the, it's turning horror movies on their ear. But then in 99, that's when the found footage stuff started. So that was with the Blair Witch Project. Yes. So that was sort of like the new, the new horror was the found yeah. footage stuff. That's actually a pretty good point. I've always equated it to the grudge in the ring kind of turning things around but you're probably right i think the blair witch project came before those and maybe that was a sea change for horror at that point yeah because the slashers stopped with scream and i know what you did last summer yes <laughs> those Which, were both out around the same time yeah that was very much like derivative of scream as well yeah everybody wanted to be scream at this point i think it was the last hurrah that's fair Somebody who I love because she's in Rock and Roll High School and Stripes. PJ Souls is, is, uh, was in the original Halloween movie. Uh, she's not necessarily the most pleasant character in that movie, but she was originally approached to for the role of Katie Tate, which is Laurie Strode's secretary, even though she didn't make it out of the first movie. And so Souls never gave them a straight answer of what to do, and so she didn't get back in the movie. So, uh, But they tried to go back there, and uh, we'll get into this later. There's a lot of callbacks to other yeah. other things, but uh, there was the potential to bring PJ Souls back into this. I think it's kind of sad they didn't get her back in. Oh, yeah. I, I, I really think that it was special to have Janet Lee as Norma, though. I, I think that was really, really special. Yes. So I'm kind of glad. It's her first role in 18 years. Oh, yeah. Well, and wasn't her last one also in a Jamie Lee credit? Wasn't it the, uh, what was it? The Fog. Yeah, The Fog. The Fog. So, yeah. 1980. That's also John Carpenter, yeah. Yeah, I think for those that aren't in the know, this is her mother. Oh, yeah. yeah we, <laughs> we haven't we, mentioned that. Yeah, yeah we, we, okay, so yes, I feel bad about it. Thank you for setting the record straight on that. Uh, yeah, so Janet Lee, super famous for Psycho. Yes. And her daughter goes on to be Jamie Lee Curtis, who's super well known for halloween so i don't know if jamie lee curtis has a daughter or not but uh 
keep an eye out for whatever great horror movie that she's in because Halloween and Psycho are up there. Yeah. Although Jamie Lee Curtis has said she doesn't like horror movies. She has said that. Ironic, though. That scene with Janet Lee was really sweet, though. I thought that was just a really nice little... It was a nicely little package scene. I mean, Normie even says, allow me to be maternal, or I'm feeling maternal, or I feel maternal towards you, or something like that, which is... And the car is actually the car from Psycho. Oh, yeah. Oh, everything the she did was same. a tip of the hat. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was pitch perfect. And I was going to save this one for later, but since we're on it now, she also says, everybody's entitled to one good scare on Halloween. Yeah. And so... Throwback to the first movie. Which is totally what Annie's dad, the sheriff... Yep, and Brackett. Town, yeah, Sheriff Brackett says. More memorable in that context, but this was a nice little throwback. Oh, yeah. Oh, they went hugely heavy-handed. There's sampling of Psycho's movie. She mentioned some uh, that the showers are broken, and so famous shower scene oh, yeah. i didn't catch that one yeah yeah so they have a lot of like they went heavy on the psycho illusions you're right she's not even in this movie that much but everything she does is like a tip of the hat to yeah. love letter to other horror things yeah it's just that one scene pretty much but they 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 load it up and i i, I loved it i thought it just the, like the thicker that they slapped it on the better for that i thought that was great the sampling of the psycho theme was a good touch and I think well, one thing that I wish we could have had, but unfortunately he's not, Donald Pleasance isn't around. There's no Loomis this time around, so uh, when the credits are running the prologue of the film about Michael's incarceration, instead of recovering old audio from the original scene of the movies, they actually just got a guy who sounded like Loomis. Fooled me when I first saw it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I read. So, so, and he did his very, very best Donald Pleasance. Uh, I wasn't fooled, but that's because I'm a complete geek. But I think that uh, I think he did a really good job. So uh, Tom Kane, I guess, was the uh, the name of the actor. I have his name here, but I didn't know, realize that he would go on to do Powderpuff Girls, Kim Possible, The Wild Thornberries, Clone Wars. Wow, he's all over the voice work here. He's Yoda. Ang- Angry Beavers. Yoda from Clone Wars. Knight Rider. Is it, wow, he's got a he's got a he's got a nice filmography there. So good work there, Tom Kane. Let's talk about the creation of this movie, though. The original one, as we mentioned before, was Halloween. Seven, it was planned to go to direct video after a modest box office performance of six. Uh, and it had um, Robert Zeppia was the guy who was going to do it. And his original script was set in a fenced-in boarding school, uh, but which this film keeps. However, Jamie Lee Curtis expressed interest in doing the film and Kevin Winderspoon, who was coming off of the success of Scream, because we're already talking about the Scream connections of 96, was asked to come in by Dimension Films to do the creation for the next Halloween movie. So the creator of Scream, Zeppia, was offered more money to share the writing credit, but in the end he declined and Witherspoon is the only possessor of the executive producer on the credit of the film. And so let's at this point, let's talk about it. The, we talked about how big Scream was. Elizabeth, where do you see the influences at the time and horror as particularly in this movie from scream well other than the obvious i mean molly and sarah are watching scream when they're getting ready for the bed check before they can go meet their boyfriends i mean that's like a pretty obvious hello (laughs) we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna show scream in this movie and there's a little shout out when laurie tells molly to take john to the beckett's that's also that's a riff on the first movie, like go down the street to the McKenzie house. But Beckett was Drew Barrymore's character character's last name in the scream in the first scream movie. Wow. Too. Yeah. So yeah. That, 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 <laughs> that, that's really detailed. <laughs> Chad, I mean stylistically though, this this feels like it's akin to Scream, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it's referential. We 
It references Psycho quite a bit. There's even some mocking of itself uh, in the beginning with the cops when they're talking about Michael Myers. And they're like, yeah, right, wouldn't he be 60 years old or whatever it is, a ridiculous age? And they're just all down on it, kind of acknowledging some of the critics of saying he's too old to be a serial killer at this point or a threat. And so there, there's a lot of self-awareness in this movie that I think Scream is famous for. I agree. And it also aesthetically has a feel, too. Like, the, the lighting is not very dark. Strong presence of soundtrack. Very confined to home space. Uh, very focused on teenager life at yeah. this point. Like, I, the original one was, but I feel like this one... Do you ever watch a movie in the late 90s and feel like, I feel like I'm being marketed a certain lifestyle or, or like a, a certain like, these are kids that you should be like. I, I, I feel like this is very forceful with that. And I feel like Scream did it more organically. And I felt this one was more conscious of like, let's be like Scream. You start waiting for the Dawson's Creek theme to come in. Yes. I don't want to wait. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, another fun connection here is director Steve Miner is also the director from Friday the 13th, part two and part three from 1981-82. Chad's shaking his head. Explain why. I I mean, between Freeman, the producer, which is Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers, and Resurrection in this movie, and Friday the 13th, part three, and Lake Placid, it's like you've gathered this... uh, Just don't. (laughs) Did you like the movie Big Bully any better then? No. Because he did that too. I mean... Friday the 13th Part 2 established Jason as the actual killer. Spoiler for those that uh, haven't seen Friday the 13th series. But that was important. But he doesn't have his mask. He has the the hood and everything. It's just Halloween. Or Friday the 13th Part 3 actually does give him his mask. So I will give Steve Miner that. I like horror movies, but not like you guys do. So don't get mad at me when I say this. But I don't like the Friday the 13th series at all i don't think it's very good that's fun okay (laughs) it's not my favorite i mean halloween's my favorite by by a long shot but friday the 13th that's not one that i watch like every year i don't know what it says about me that i watch most of the halloween movies every year but (laughs) i've only watched the first three and i they get better i like four do they two four and six are good two's generally considered the pinnacle for me, it's probably four. Okay. And oh. six is good, too. I'll get there eventually. And I watched that remake as well, so which was good. I actually yes. enjoyed that. Yeah, 2009's Friday the 13th. is. The- John Carpenter was originally in the running to be the director here, and he wanted to reunite the cast and the crew of the original and have an active involvement in it. It was believed that Carpenter opted out, though, because he wanted no uh, active part in the sequel, however. But in the other case... Carpenter agreed to direct the movie, but it was his fee that broke things down. He wanted $10 million as director. Carpenter rationalized this by believing that a hefty fee and compensation was in line for the revenue that he never received from the original Halloween movie. He was pretty sore that even though that movie was made on a shoestring budget and turned a huge profit, he felt like there was, whether it be contracts or whatever, he wasn't compensated adequately out of the big success that this would later go on to become he and mustafa akid who's kind of the the keeper of the halloween franchise didn't have the best relationships and so akid balked when carpenter's fee came his way and they just moved on which i think is so sad wouldn't it be cool to get john carpenter back well he also asked for a three movie deal get to him (laughs) i don't think jamie lee curtis wanted three movies though well, after you saw Halloween Resurrection, I bet everybody sat there and wished we would pay John Carpenter. <laughs> oh, boy. 
yeah, Resurrections. I mean, I guess we're going to have to go into Resurrection a little bit. Uh, maybe we don't. No, maybe we don't. We can just was, say it's not what you want it to be. It's not what why what I wanted it to be. And then and then even after Laurie's not in it anymore, and that is resolved in the really unsatisfying way it's resolved. That that's just that was not a that was not okay. <laughs> it was not okay. So as we mentioned here, Steve Miner. This is probably I think it's safe to say I haven't seen all of his movies, but I think this is probably his best movie. And yeah. uh, John Carpenter can probably direct circles around him. Oh, easily. Yeah. I mean, John Carpenter is a hit and miss. We've discussed this in the Halloween podcast. He's hit and miss with his franchises, but he knows how to create tension. He knows how to use scores. He wrote the original Halloween theme. I think he's more hit than miss, for sure. But when he gets it right, he really gets yeah. it right. So, And yeah, you're right. Like, Children of the Damned was, was a miss, for instance. But, I mean, for every one of those, he's got, like, They Live and... Well, like, what was it? You give him $25 million, he'll he'll make $100 million. You'll gi- You give him $100 million, he'll make $25 million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that one of the things that, if, if I have complaints about H2O, back to your earlier question about what are some similarities to the actual style of Scream, there were the, the fake jumps where, oh, there's something bad. No, it's not. No, it's not bad. It's okay. Um, where a character yes. is startled, and that happens a lot in Scream, um, and it happens a lot in H2O, uh, in that hour in between Nurse Marion getting killed and, and then the actual action when, when Michael gets to the school. There are, there's a lot of, of startled, startled characters. There are a lot of fake jumps. Yes. Um, and I feel, like, I feel like John Carpenter doesn't do that, and I actually feel like it, it doesn't add to the tension in a good way. I feel like it takes away from the tension. I second, third, and fourth all of those points 100 percent. yeah i was counting them there are six there are six fake outs i'll be honest with you if you just you counted them yes <laughs> i love I, that about you <laughs> I, I feel like there were more but i i, I trust you it's, six is a lot for for that small window of time too so yeah it, it's frustrating yeah well again you talk about friday the 13th feels because friday the 13th the third one i think it is is absolutely jam-packed full of jump scares i remember in the first half an hour that, that it was just like there have to be at least 12 of these. Nothing I, nothing actually is sinister in this movie. It's just scary. I, I feel like it's like, in a world where things aren't as scary as you think they are, you turn on the light and it was just an ironing board. Yeah. They, they have their time and place. I, I still like uh, It Follows. There's a bird that hits a window or something like that. Oh, yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. It relieves tension and you laugh and it's like, it, it breaks the ice, but they don't abuse it. That was a gorgeous film. LL Cool J gets all the laughs I need in this movie. You don't like LL Cool J? I want to hate. I want to hate the whole it, him writing erotica and reading it to his wife or girlfriend or whoever she is on the phone. I want to hate all of that. I just I like LL Cool J. He can do no wrong. I felt like it was awful the first time I saw it, maybe even the second time I saw it. But when I returned to it this time, I kind of came in with just a whole different attitude and. I don't think I want this in a Halloween movie, but it's there, and I, I kind of came to it differently this time. It's just like, I knew it was coming, and I kind of just, I steered into it more, and for some reason it, it went down for me better. Am I wrong? Chad, Chad's looking at me like I'm crazy on this one. I mean, it, it, it's written in such a way that it's it's not even trying to be good. It's just ludicrous dialogue, <laughs> where he's just absurdly abs- describing a woman. Eh, but I don't know. I just... I don't want this type of comic relief in my horror movies. Too funny? 
Yeah, it it's too goofy. It's too corny. It I, does feel a little bit like the forty year old version where Steve Carell's at the poker game and they ask him like, "What were the breasts like?" And he's like, "Like a bag of sand." <laughs> oh, he does better than that. Come on, and I I feel like it was kind of clever because the whoever whoever's trying to explain their reasoning for putting elements into this movie can say, well, I mean, that's Ronnie's character, right? So it's not actually a thing that happens that's comic relief. It's not actually a slapstick, funny, ridiculous thing that happens. It's just this particular quirk of the guy who runs the front gate, and it just so happens that it's a boring job, and he writes erotica and calls and reads it to his wife. And so it's almost like a, a story within a story rather than actual action in the plot. It's just a characteristic of one of the of the characters and and that's sort of a sort of a cheat, I guess. But it, it worked for me this time actually better than it's worked any other time. And that I thought it's not that funny, but it shows that there are characters who have no idea the horrors that are lurking out there, right? But in the cops from Halloween Five, that like have the tuba playing as they walk around telling. You were so hard on that scene. I almost feel like that was a dare. I almost feel like it was more than one scene. It was just awful. I was like, why don't these cops have clown shoes on? Just go ahead and give them clown shoes. We got a really good job. We got a really good deal on tuba players. I guarantee you, his contract says I can't die in this movie, though. Uh, when Kevin Williamson first outlined Halloween H2O, he created a storyline in which Laurie Strode was uh, faked her own death and then take, taken a new identity as a specific way of reconnecting a character to the death of Halloween 4. The producers ultimately decided to go away from that, though, and uh, they cut a piece in the uh, opening scene credits where there was some newspaper clipping articles, which I think Chad was kind of alluding to earlier. So Yeah, it still mentioned her car wreck, though. Did it? Yeah. Yeah, it was. there was still a shot of that. Okay. So... There is at least some haphazard attempt to at least gloss over it. So, And then Jamie Lee Curtis originally wanted Laurie's life to be in shambles at the start of this movie. She's fragile, but she's not broken like Laurie wanted her to be. She wanted uh, Kevin Williamson to make her unstable and unhinged and, you know, again, over-the-edge alcoholic. And so Kevin Williamson, though, convinced her that Laurie should have more to lose than that, and therefore the stakes will be higher. Those are two interesting points because I think what they did in Halloween 2018 actually is more like what Jamie Lee Curtis wanted to do. And is Kevin Williamson right here, or do you like Jamie Lee Curtis's stance on this one, Elizabeth? Oh, I think that Kevin Williamson is spot on. I I feel like H2O works because Laurie has this tenuous hold on life. She's obviously keeping it together enough to run this really expensive private school She's obviously inside a shambles, right? So I think he managed to achieve that within the character. But on the outside, she's got this brittle exterior where she's barely holding it together, but she's at least holding it together enough to, to do her job. Yeah. And she's she's raised this kid in a in a way that's made him resent her, obviously, but he, he's love, he loves her and he's protective of her. So she's done something right in all this. We got what Jamie Lee wanted in in the 2018, which was great, but I really enjoyed the tension of this very, very tightly wound Laurie Strode being Carrie Tate on Halloween, you know, give me one day when really it's every day. She's an absolute complete basket case just with a a smooth, well-groomed shell, you know, veneer. 
covering it. I felt like her son, which granted a teenage son can be kind of a jerk sometimes <laughs> and selfish, but I, I really, every time I watch this movie, I hate Josh Hartnett more and more. Not him, but like <laughs> uh, his character more and more. Because like his mom's having a really hard time at like the super traumatic thing that happened to her. And he's just like, oh, mom, again, with the whole like attempted murder thing. It's like, yeah, that's kind of a big deal. I mean, for 17 or 18 years of his life, it, nothing has happened so it's it's probably reasonable at that point to be like mom you need to let it go yeah but it worked on the clock like there was something special about halloween like he came back on halloween so like it, there, there is something critical about that and like you're in witness protection like if he doesn't know that you've grown up in witness protection that there's a really bad man who kills people <laughs> who could come at you at any second and your your existence thrives in the fact that it's a kept secret that you know where like that, you, that he doesn't know where you are i mean come on you got to be a little bit nicer to your mom. Well, when they have the confrontation in town, when he and Charlie have, have, have snuck out to go get booze for their, their secret Halloween party, and she's sucked down two glasses of Chardonnay at lunch, and she's feeling a little loose and a little crazy, and she sees him, and they have that confrontation on the street, he says, Michael Myers is dead. I mean, he obviously doesn't think there's a bad man coming to get them. He thinks that mom had a bad time, and he's been real patient all this time, and now he's 17 years old, darn it, and he's got to live his life. He can't live his life for her anymore. That's what he says to her. So I feel like, I mean, and at the, be- in, at the beginning, our introduction to them, she wakes up screaming and he runs in and, and comforts her and gives her her medicine. So he's, he's an abnormally, I think, conscientious and thoughtful 17-year-old kid who is aware of the fact that his mom has had a hard time and is suffering through... You know, they don't call out PTSD, but that's obviously what she's got. But he, he loses patience because she is unrelenting in her rigidity, and he just has a hard time reconciling that. I, I found myself this watching a lot more sympathetic to his character than I've ever been in the past. Okay. Well, okay. So that's an opposite take then. I, I, again, I, I, every time I see it, I just go like, man, this guy's a jerk. Even if you're a teenager, I mean, your mom's going to pieces. you got to be a little bit nice to her. Nope. Reasonable. Reasonable? Okay. Yeah. Bad haircut, but reasonable. Totally bad haircut, right? Everyone keeps telling him that throughout the... Uh, yeah. Throughout the... Comb your hair. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting, he, uh, his friends and this school, I don't quite understand. I, I, I don't need the whole backstory, but this... What kind of school is this? It's just like a prep school. Like, yeah. Do people go live in these schools? Like, like, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. They're like private schools school. that yeah. people with a lot more money than we had growing up go to. Yeah. When people say, yeah. I'm going to send you to boarding school, I get like the notion of, like, this is where troubled youths get no. sent, and, like, they're, oh, like, no, in this crappy, no. like, in this, like, halfway army camp. Like, I'm sending you yeah. to boarding school, like, in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, like, I'm going to send you to boarding school, Ted. No, this is, like, where our Supreme Court justices go. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Rich, you have better advantages for college. It's, yeah. Just like Chad said. Well, you can tell what I didn't grow up in that world, apparently. So. No, neither did I. No. Neither did I, but I watched a lot of movies. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't there. I was like, is this college or what is happening? Is this like Oxford or like, no, it's Southern California, no. but this, I don't. <laughs> this is what rich people do when they don't want to go to the bad public schools. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess that's why the city schools are the way they are here. <laughs> um. Can we talk for a minute about why Michael Myers can drive? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I have a theory on this, but um, I love this though. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. What's your take on this one, Elizabeth? I don't have a take. I mean, it's been blogged about, and it's it's something that I just 
because even in the first movie, right? They're driving into. Is that the first movie? Where yeah, dri- he's, yeah, he's yeah, driving around. Driving, yeah, he. So he's been in an in an institution since he was six years old, and he stabbed Judith to death, right? Yep. Yeah. Who, who who taught that guy to drive? He doesn't talk. I've seen speculation on this one. I think actually it was last year when we did this on the mm-hmm. Halloween episode, episode four of the show. In that, I remember somebody saying that Loomis driving him around as his doctor. You know, he would be in the car and you watch, just like you watch your parents how to drive. You get the idea that, you know, you put the gas pedal down, you put the brake on, you turn. Yep. Is it that hard? I mean... Well, he's he's supposed to be somewhat intelligent and hyper-observant. He's just a psychopath. But I actually, I love that he's the only horror villain that I can think of, other than maybe the creeper from Jeepers Creepers, that drives. The leprechaun. He has a little car that... that <laughs> wow, okay. Well, That's a deep I cut. I but... didn't think that Loomis drove, drove him around so much. I mean, I feel like Loomis went to go see him. But, but so all that aside, let's say that he learned, like, the basics of how to operate a motor vehicle. He steals the car in Illinois, right? And then drives all the way to California in H2O. That's a really, really long way. I mean, he had to stop for gas. I feel like there's a whole other in-between movie. Like, you know how, like, Rogue One, like, is an in-between story of Star Wars? It's Michael Myers' drive from Illinois yes, to California to go kill Laurie in a Halloween H2O. Yeah, like, a mur- uh, like, join him on a murder spree across the country. What I didn't need, though, is the scene with him swapping cars. Like, he ch- he changes out cars. That's reminiscent of the first movie, too. Because he, he takes, like, the therapist car, which yeah. they're looking for in that movie. Like, they're going to be looking for that car. And he kills, like, a repairman, which is obviously yeah. where he gets his all, you know, that's his where coveralls, the, yeah. yeah. And so there's that one's a little more tight, but I thought the, the car switch in this movie was just straight up a tip of the hat to that first movie. What was that one that he stole outside the rest of it? Was it, a, like, a green Buick of some kind? That... Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I might have. I might have the... Uh... The two cars that you were asking about, yes, uh, the one at the beginning of the house is a 71 Buick Skylark, and Laurie and uh, Carrie's car is a 1998 GMC Jimmy SLT. So uh, there you go. They're the cars of Halloween Thank H2O. You. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. I feel better. <laughs> no, but seriously, the, that that flummoxes me how he got from from Illinois where he you know, killed Nurse Marion and, and all that jazz and switched out cars and got his overalls and got his mask and, and we'll talk about the mask too but um but then he makes it all the way to california so i'm very curious did he siphon gas did he actually like steal a credit card and or did he pay cash i like to think that he went in to pay inside and then like killed the guy like prepay style but then they would be looking for him you know so yeah. it, it would probably be on the news white a- masked guy looks like michael myers killing gas station attendant stealing corn nuts you know i mean <laughs> there's a large amount of incompetence around the, the police in this series so all, I, all police have tubas playing behind them in clown yeah. shoes so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um so one thing i'm going to pick on director steve minor just a little bit more is his camera work is nowhere near i wish he just copied copied carpenter a little bit more like please get the first person camera moving like slowly as if I'm walking and pursuing you back like the whole like I'm pursuing you and you're in the the, the predator's perspective point of view it's so so much scarier when you know like someone's being watched 
and they don't know it and you're, you're approaching them like think about like on the drive she thinks that michael myers is coming her way and from a mile away and it's not very intense in fact it ends up being one of those fake jump scares yeah. where it wasn't real uh, again think about what john carpenter would have done he would have had michael like looking and seeing her waiting like is this the right time for a kill mm, i can do better like that's really scary and this movie doesn't do that i wish it had that was one of yeah. my big criticisms with 2018 is they missed you misused that first person to show him doing mundane things like walking through that house and observing the baby and walking on and picking the knife use that well okay Okay. I think the whole point of that scene, that particular moment in 2018, was just to make you wonder if he was going to kill the baby. He should have killed the baby. Oh, no. he should have killed the baby. I, I, <laughs> Don't kill the baby. No. He's, he's the shape of evil. Kill the baby. No. He's the shape of evil, but but what would be the point? You know, he might be able to to turn the baby evil. I don't know. It's not worth the energy to kill the baby. This this is going to go out there on the internet forever. Chad That'll Robinson says, should have killed the baby. No, don't do that. Don't kill kids in movies. <laughs> should have killed LL Cool J in the booth. Should have killed the baby in 2018. I am surprised LL Cool J is like, I'm okay now. Well, that uh, that was a weird, the being shot, that was a Black Knight kind of, just a flesh wound. He's like, it was just a scratch. But uh, He looked really dead when he got shot the first time. Oh boy, but, did he ever. But the I fact mean, she's crying and... Then, the, then, then, then the boyfriend, uh, Arkin, that's a particularly great Michael Myers kill, I think, because it's just one stab and then the lift and the, lift. the shake. That, that, which, <laughs> yeah, that, that's probably one of his trademarks, the, the stab lift. It was just so yeah. unlike him to leave a threat alone, and he passes LL Cool J in that guard booth during yet another fake out series, and it's just like, kill him. Maybe he kill wanted to hear right the story now. ended. <laughs> Am I wrong in saying that the first Halloween actually doesn't have a particularly high kill count? No. But in this one, might actually even be higher, but somehow it seems like we're going too long of a dry spell in this. You, He only has six kills in this movie, and three of them are in the first uh, scene. Which, by the way, that first scene's awesome. It, it was interesting. They made Marion kind of a force to be reckoned with. Like, she fought back better she than did. almost all of his victims. Mm-hmm. She got a couple good blows in, too. So, a subplot involving two detectives, one male, one female, were tracking Michael for the murder of Nurse Stevenson's uh, was in the script, but they ended up completely cutting it out. Uh, remnants of the characters actually still remain in the start of the movie when the two random detectives are t talking in the home of Stevenson's home. Yeah. Uh, they're there. Those were supposed to be a bigger part of the movie, and I can see where there being room for more of that, to be honest with you in here. This movie's only 86 minutes. It's the shortest of any Halloween movie I wish Rob Zombie's movie were shorter. <laughs> they, they could have used those detectives instead of bringing LL Cool J back to life. And again, I think this was written into his contract. I cannot die. I'm just disappointed nobody got LL. I know you don't like LL Cool J, but I'm a little bit disappointed nobody found his book and started reading it out loud. Like, <laughs> and like, what is this? I, 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 would like I that. liked him, but I just, I didn't want him to come back in the end. That, that felt cheap to me. It did. Yeah, I agree with that. So, at one time, a plan for Michael Myers to speak a single line in the movie saying, Lori, just before he gets beheaded, and uh, they drop that well, from the final script. Well, that would have ruined the beginning of Resurrection, right? <laughs> yep. But the beginning of Resurrection ruins the beginning of Resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to spoil that movie right now, but... So, let's talk about this one. We haven't gotten to it yet. Killing Michael Myers. Big move. Elizabeth, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so that scene, 
Which was totally ruined by the beginning of Resurrection. Spoiler alert. But that scene, part of me, the critical part of me, thinks was totally lame. Because he's there and he's reaching out. There's, like, humanity or desperation or there's at least a lizard brain, help me, help me. And that's more emotion than we ever, ever, ever see from the shape, right? The shape is not a man. The shape is the, you know, he's evil incarnate. He doesn't have a help me, help me, like, gene in him, right? But he's trapped up against that tree. And there's this moment where she's looking at him and he's looking through his mask holes and he reaches out and they almost touch fingers and then she huffs that axe she stole up and she chops his head off so the critical critical part of me says that's just awful the the part of me that is an emotional creature who loves this franchise i love i love that so much i just think that was such an interesting choice and i think it and it it makes the beginning of resurrection make sense because the shape probably wouldn't reach out to her, but a guy who had had his tongue cut out and that gotten his clothes swapped and, and had a mask put on him would. That's the, and that's what makes me mad at the beginning of Resurrection, because it does make sense, because that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Michael to reach out and almost touch fingers with her. you got to be really sure that you unwrap this thing up here, and clearly they didn't in the end. Uh, I mean, I think I've seen an interview with Mustafa Keats that you can't kill Michael Myers. It's like in the contract. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I'm... Just... Wouldn't you take his mask off? I mean, if you're Laurie, wouldn't you take his mask off? No? I think it, it would. Tell me more. It would make him... It'd restore some humanity to him. He actually so. gets his mask pulled off briefly in the first movie and he puts his mask back on. Like, you don't yeah. get a good look at his face, though. I think she kills him with the mask because that's the shape of evil. Like... For the other two encounters, someone else has killed, and I'm using finger quotes here, Michael Myers for her. This is her doing it herself, and she is just ending the evil. She doesn't need anything. She doesn't need a person attached to it. Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, Chad, you mentioned that the masks were different in this movie, and actually I never noticed it before, but once you start to see that there are certain masks in this, do you do you have any insights on that? Oh yeah, there there were four different masks used. The original mask was lost after Halloween too, uh, sadly. And this isn't one of the worst examples, I don't think. But there is a very very bad scene where Charlie turns around to Michael Myers, and it is clearly a different mask. Mm -hmm. And it just it takes me out of the scene. Like this is not how he should look. And I don't know why they didn't go back and fix that in post. Yeah, certain scenes Michael can be seen wearing, like the first one is from John Carl Butcher's, resembled the first one from Halloween 6, and uh, the producers were not satisfied with that, so they called in Greg... Nicotero. Nicotero, thank you. They called in Greg Nicotero to make a new mask for the filming, and they resumed with that second mask. Like you said, why would they not go back and reshoot the other stuff? But then, later on, Miner, the director, in his infinite wisdom, I can, I'm going to continue piling on him. Yeah, uh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, he decided well into the production to go with yet another mask. So certain scenes are reshot and other ones are not. And some scenes are with the original mask can be seen. And one had to be altered with CGI for a whole fourth mask. So, I mean, Elizabeth, again, it probably takes somebody who's seen it as many times as you have. Is, uh, is, this, uh, is it okay or does it kind of bother you? It, it it bothers me. The mask in one and two was, that's to me, that's what the shape looks like. That's, I mean, it was a Captain Kirk mask, right? Yep. That they painted white. And it's so eerie because it looks like a person's face, but it doesn't look like a person's face. And 
any deviation from that in subsequent films bugs me. I don't pick apart the actual differences or anything like that, but Michael Myers is supposed to look, look a certain way. And when he doesn't look the way he's supposed to look, then that ticks me off because how hard is that, guys? You know? Yeah, it's it's a mask. You just make a choice and you gotta... <laughs> make a choice. So another thing that kind of bothered me was more so in kind of how they shape these characters. It seemed like Sarah, the girlfriend of Charlie, uh, she seems to go more to Josh Hartnett's character, John, more so. Uh, she's like this edgy, like, you know, kind of... She seems more alternative in nature. And Josh Hartnett, you know, with his uncombed hair and sulky kind of like offbeat attitude i get i get that these these two are outsiders whereas you know charlie just doesn't seem like he fits with them is that a fair statement they don't really give you a whole lot of backstory with their relationships or everything i I always just kind of assume that charlie and and john have been friends since they were little kids that laurie's been carrie since before john born right yeah Yeah. i guess they grew up in that little part of california and and charlie maybe was like the little kid that got picked on or whatever but also john's mom is the boss right so is is alternate as he wants to look he's still the head the headmistress's son yeah and it is a private school like i mean the most he can do is like keep his tie slouchily done and stuff like that and they do mention at one point that who's not going on the on this field trip and like oh just for outsiders yeah it's uh i don't know i'm all for throwaway teenagers but you almost needed more of them yeah so you could kill more of them but the none none of them had it well and if you're only going to give us four then give us a little more to get invested in yeah that's where i am they had no development whatsoever that's what i am and i'm left and that's why i'm sitting here picking the wardrobe apart because like i'm just like well this guy doesn't seem like he goes to that girl and this guy seems too preppy to be in there and you're right if you had actually given me some taste of why these guys are friends or how they function as a group or like show like charlie seems like he might be the kind of guy who steals test scores or something like that and then helps these i mean Give us something. Give me something. Yeah, there's usually some rule that they have to break to be deserving of their death. And other than skipping out on a field trip, which seems pretty minor, like, you've got to have the... They don't even have a chance to drink. Yeah, they're not drinking. They're not having... They're They're drinking wine, too. No, not yet. Not yet, though, because they're making food. And that's the first thing they do. Charlie and Sarah make the food. They take it down. They're like, oh, wait, we forgot the wine. Nothing goes with wine, like fine wine, like Salisbury steak from a cafeteria. And meatloaf, yeah. And and then Charlie goes to find the corkscrew, drops it down the sink, has to dig it out. And that's when he gets killed. They don't even have a chance to take a sip of wine before. I hated that scene, too, because they pulled some Final Destination stuff with that disposal. And then it just wasn't used. It's like, why, why are you wasting my time? Yeah, it was it was a throwaway. It was, and then just like Russell pointed out, it wasn't Russell that he turns and looks at Michael and says, "Hey," or something like that, and yeah. it doesn't even look like Michael. No. And then poor Charlie ends up in the dumbwaiter with his throat cut. And that that particular scene with Sarah, Sarah sees the blood on the floor, I did like and that. then yeah. and then she's, oh gosh, there's Charlie. Charlie, wake up! Wait, his throat's cut. Ah, and Michael's coming after her, and she crawls into the dumbwaiter with him that that's that's a whole nice harrowing awful terrible experience scene that that i think is fitting to to the genre and to the franchise and another thing that gets me about michael myers and i actually wrote a blog post for a a site that i used to write for about michael myers as as a funny guy and it was based on the fact that he put on the sheet in one and put bob's glasses on over the sheet 
you know, you know. <laughs> that was a big criticism of ours in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so in, in this one, he takes the time to hang Sarah from the light fixture in the kitchen, right? Yeah, that is For, reminiscent. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of reminiscent in, in this movie. Perhaps too much, but yeah. What do you think about the soundtrack in this one? I, I thought it was odd that there were ominous scores placed in times where there weren't. Like, the buses were just queuing up oh children, and like the music was like, dun, 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 dun. I'm like, what is I, go- like why? Like, I literally wrote down in my notes, this is not what the theme is for, in all caps, because at one point, Lori is just watching buses load, and the Halloween music is playing, then it cuts to her talking, Nothing's and it happening. stops playing, and then it resumes... As Michael Myers is like driving a car off in the distance. That's like watching a James Bond movie and having him open a file cabinet and then like. Yeah, it was I, baffling. I don't think they used it correctly more than once in this movie, and it it just. It's the scene walking up the hill. That was correct. Yeah. That was one hundred percent correct. Ah uh, man, I, I gotta give him credit though. I like Creed. What's this light for? Although this is it's such a nice '90s uh, movie where like. You put a pop rock song like that, like into this, like into this thing. Like, you would never do that now. I, I would not some... recommend adding Creed to anything ever. Oh, that was, they were they, <laughs> they were the thing back then. This was before everybody hated Creed. Like they, they were on their they were on the like everybody likes Creed. Not everybody. Not yeah. every... See, nobody's gonna admit that now. But like, I'm gonna give you the Chris Rock line with the Spice Girls. Like Spice Girls sold millions and millions of records, but nobody admits to it. Somebody's buying it, and then their car going. Tell me what you want. Tell me what you want. I'm not buying it, but I'll listen to the Spice Girls. Creed sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm I'm gonna steer into my nostalgia for the time on that one. Just like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Van Shoes and Creed, oh, yes. and the, and the Creed soundtrack. I'm okay with all of this. The majority of John Ottman's original score was rejected late in post-production and replaced by Marco Beltramani's score to Scream from 1996 and Scream 2 in '97, and Mimic in '97. Uh, the producers wanted a darker, more scream-like score. So again, they're just blatantly saying, "Like, can we make it more scream-like?" They literally mixed in screams music. In Why the would you do that? <laughs> Lazy. I hey, it worked in '96. Have I mentioned it. before this guy can't direct? <laughs> so we've uh, covered so much. But Elizabeth, do you have any look for this moments? Oh well, we were talking about soundtrack, and when she gets into the car in town, and she's two glasses of Chardonnay in and she's all mad at John she turns on the radio and it's Mr. Sandman yes that was a good which callback. is a, that is a nice callback too great callback great callback and she angrily turns off the radio which also seemed oddly like a scream type moment for me too that felt very modern horror yeah yeah very much so Chad look for this yeah, so we've mentioned that Scream 2 is playing on the TV but the reason they chose Scream 2 and not Scream 1 Chris Duran, who is playing Michael Myers, not The Shape, but credited as Michael Myers, was the stuntman for Ghostface. More Scream, scream overlap. Too. So much Scream overlap. Yes. Mine's going to be another tidbit that's really hidden in there. A statue of Butterball, the Cinnabite from Hellraiser, can actually be seen on Jimmy's porch when the nurse knocks on his door. Yes, that made me oh, happy. Oh, right. Yep. That was great. Which is a strange thing to have on your porch, right? <laughs> yeah. Nothing yeah. says don't knock on my door like a Cinnabite. Well, it is Halloween. Yeah. Oh, that is a good point. But, I mean, I still think Cinnabite sounds like a delicious thing that you get at Pizza Hut for dessert. <laughs> Not if you watch Hellraiser movies enough. That's true. So, time to hand out some awards to Elizabeth. Are you ready? Who's your MVP of Halloween H2O? Uh, Jamie Lee. I, I know that's kind of a that's a gimme, but Jamie Lee all the way. I love her. It's a gimme for a reason. I'm with you. What are you about you, Chad? 
Absolutely. She's the scream queen for a reason. She reinvigorated the whole series yes. by coming back and saying, let's do this again. Uh, and if she, even if she did it for a payday, it had it had dividends to the point where we're still getting to enjoy it today. So I'm glad she did. Best supporting actor, Elizabeth. I've got to go. Well, I love the cameo of Janet Lee, And then I like for best supporting. I actually thought that Josh Hartman did a great job. Okay. Yeah. And uh, my, my co-host, Brian, who's not here, would would applaud you for that <laughs> he, he we absurdly have an, loves josh yeah Hardin. yeah we have an ongoing thing where i don't like Harden and he, he does and we go back and i, forth re- I really really do uh and jed who's your best supporting actor uh adam arkin for me i really oh. i felt like he was the only other believable character or at least just had personality in this not all cool too, huh? okay <laughs> All right. He was uh, a caricature of himself. My best supporting actor, and I think that he was in it enough to give him supporting actor, was Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Jimmy Howell. I, that first scene, I, I was digging it. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like we lost him just a little too soon. I wish he were friends with the other guys in, in school. Yeah, well, I have to jump to my hidden gem. I'm going to skip you, Elizabeth, skip out a turn. But, yeah, he was my hidden gem. Mine, too. A- exactly what <laughs> Russell had said. I... I wrote, I wanted more of Jimmy because Joseph Gordon-Levitt can actually act. Yes, he's a good actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's mine too. Okay, that's so mine. I guess that takes me then to my hidden gem would be Janet Lee, which was your best supporting. So we're just, we're, we're switching and swapping and, yeah. and mixing and matching. But horror, uh, horror movies are always a small, tight-knit cast. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Elizabeth, if you had to recast somebody and put somebody in their place, who would it be and uh, who would you put in their place? I gotta say Adam Arkin. I didn't like him at all. The The stuff that was supposed to be disarmingly awkward to me was just awkward. And I didn't feel like he and Jamie Lee had much chemistry. So are you putting Alan Arkin in his place? <laughs> no, no, no. But I would have liked to have seen, like, uh, John Cusack or somebody oh. that cost too much, probably. But I would have liked to see somebody that had better better on-screen, on-screen chemistry with Jamie. Arnold Schwarzenegger. How about Paul Giamatti? He's cheaper at this point. Yeah. Was he cheaper back then, though? I think so. I, think... I love Paul Giamatti, and it's because of the karaoke movie he did. I can see him being a guidance counselor. Like, Duets? I... Did you guys see that? I mean, Andre Brower singing karaoke and Paul Giamatti, I just... No, but Chad, recast time for you, man. Uh, I'm going after Michelle Williams. I really thought she brought absolutely nothing to her role. She mumbled every line, too. Yeah, if we have to go Dawson's Creek, go get Katie Holmes instead. <laughs> I think they wanted a moody character, but I don't think she knows how to play moody. Like, I feel like... Oh, she like... does now. <laughs> yeah, that's... Did you see Blue Valentine? I mean... I didn't, yeah. actually, but... Okay, that's fair. But I, it does. It looks like somebody who was told to play moody and can't, is what I'm saying. She reminds me of a knockoff Renee Zellweger. That's too harsh now. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, sir, have gone too far. <laughs> Across the line. I'm sorry, Miss Williams. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go with Adam Hunt Bird, who plays Charlie Devereaux. I've, you probably could detect me picking on this. He just doesn't fit. Nothing, no part of him fits. I want somebody who's uh, kind of got an alternative sense to them as well, somebody who looks like he's would be an outsider. And I'm actually going to go out of the uh, acting world and grab a musician at this point, somebody uh, like Max Collins from Eve Six. Uh, at the time, okay. I, I could see him hanging out with these guys more. And uh, also, Charlie looks like he's like the short kid who would get shoved in a locker by Jeff Josh Hartnett. Jeff Max uh, seems like somebody who would be age appropriate and uh, hanging out with these guys. And uh, I don't know. I believe that he would be worthy of having Sarah on his arm. So uh, 
somebody cool like that. And that plus that would also market the soundtrack more, which is all like, MTV is all about that at this point. Like they have total synergy with the studio. Oh, good. So we could squeeze in. Here's to the night we felt alive. Wasn't out yet, but yeah, I mean, be better than Creed. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> True. It wasn't out yet, but I mean, you would have gotten maybe Leech like sucking on my brain. You're the teacher and the student. Turn yeah. things around. Your story's not congruent. No. <laughs> no. All right. All right. Moving on then. Bash- I was like, who's coming with me? <laughs> yeah. I like the music from this era and nobody else in this podcast does. That's okay. I'm old. I'm old is why. That's all. It's just I'm old. All right. So best shot. As much as I've criticized Mr. Minor, it's time to just say what was Shane, Shane Minor's best shot. Elizabeth. The walk up the hill. Good one. Very good. Hands down. Hands. The best scene in the movie. Best scene in maybe any Halloween movie ever. One of my favorite things in all of the whole universe. I love that scene. Chad, what is your best shot? It was played heavily in the trailers, but where Laurie and Michael first encounter each other and they're looking at the mm. through the porthole and you see them react to each other, even even with the mask on, there's a reaction from Jamie Lee Curtis and it's just great. That was the best tension in the movie too, by the way, that scene. So you've, you nailed mine, exactly. The, the porthole in the door where it's like, just her face is framed well. And then it turns in his face is framed well, too. So, love it. Best scene. Elizabeth. Uh, well, again, the walk up the hill or the scene with Janet Lee. I, either one. Okay. But the, the walk up the hill. I just can't say enough good things about the walk up the hill. Then she screams Michael, like, several times, and it just echoes through the valleys of that part of rich, rich, rich California and the abandoned school, and it's dark. It got dark really, really fast, too. I don't know how it got dark that fast, but that that's just... That's that's it. That makes the movie for me. Yeah, Chad. For me, it's Michael flipping over tables and chairs while Lori's crawling away in the dining hall. I felt like this was the most menacing I'd seen Michael Myers in a long time. He's just this sheer brute strength and just a force. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my best scene is going to be the opening scene with the woman coming home to a ransacked house. She has two teenage boys help keep her company while the police are on their way and. Uh, this just uses suspense so well. It's so promising for the start of the movie. I think that we're in for a whole other level of movie. And uh, we just don't know who lives and who dies. Nothing's predictable at this point. Great start to the movie. I only wish that it could have maintained this momentum going forward. So that's my best scene. Yeah, that was a great opening kill scene. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Change one thing. Elizabeth. I would have liked a little more reverence to Nurse Marion. I would have liked a little more explanation to people not familiar with the franchise that because she, she's an important character to me. Like even though she's a tertiary character, she's important. And like I don't know somehow Laurie finding out that she'd been killed, or I mean, after the fact, or something like that, or there'd been like just at the very end, like an obit or so, just something to mark that's the significance of that character would have been nice maybe a little bit more time with her at the beginning too like not too much more time but like sure. 30 more seconds one more minute again it's an 86 minute movie there's time to do it you have time to do that right <laughs> right well in the beginning when she's the kid asks her don't you know that those 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 things kill when she lights a cigarette and she says yeah but they're all dead you know i mean like she she had she had more to give yeah i like the actress who played her too by the way oh yeah great chat change one thing Three words. Pay John Carpenter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. That's great. I like that better than the one I have. I was trying to show restraint and, like, isolate it a little more. But uh, nice. I can't argue one bit with that. So, um, 
So for me, I'm going to go with second quarter of the movie. There's a lot of jump scares in a long drought here. Please replace some of these copious amounts of jump scares with one thoughtful kill. Maybe yes. maybe we yes. kill a gatekeeper or a security guard who's not LL Cool J. I need I need something just to remind us that there's danger on its way. But I love your I love your I love <laughs> recast the director. Um, best quote of the movie, Elizabeth. Adam Arkin has just gotten the the bomb dropped on him that his girlfriend is actually Laurie Strode and everything's happening all at once and he asks her, "What do we do?" and she says, "Try not to die." And it's so like diehard '90s like action film kind of, but she just delivers it so well. It's just other than her screaming, Michael walking up the hill, which I I will talk about until we're done. Um, but yeah, that she just looks at him and says, "Try not to die." That's I, my favorite. I love that entire scene. Uh, even his initial kind of playful reaction of. Well, that's yeah. terrible. Take off well, your clothes. Well, because he thinks he's like, <laughs> he thinks it's like foreplay, you know? He thinks she's like getting kind of kind of freaky. And then he's like, wait a minute, you're serious? Because it, it, it seems to me, because they're making out and he's like, oh, 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 really? Really? Are we, really? <laughs> yeah, how really? do you do that? Like, that's, that's really <laughs> yeah. foreplay for a traumatized woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a great scene. But yeah, try not to die. Okay, and Chad, line of the movie for you. Everyone is entitled to one good scare. Ah, that's mine as well. It's a good throwback line. And, it, uh, and because it was Janet Lee delivering it, it was just all the better. We're at the top of the mountain. We're going to give this movie a rating on a five-star scale, half-star intervals. Elizabeth, what would you rate this movie? I'm going with my emotions. I'm going to give it a four out of five only because of the elements and the, the things that delight me so much. It would have been a much different, much better movie if Carpenter had been involved. I do agree with that. So, But in, in, the, in the realm of Halloween, my top Halloween movies, I do give a four out of five. Obviously, it's not like an Oscar-winning thing, but I, I, do, I do give it a four out of five in, it's in terms of my enjoyment of it. Absolutely. That's a great choice. And uh, Chad, what is your rating for this movie? Yeah, I feel like if this movie existed in a vacuum, it would absolutely be a two and a half star movie. But because of the history, uh, because of the importance of the franchise, I think it's got to be three stars. Um, it, it gave us resurrection, which is bad, but it got Jamie Lee Curtis back into this franchise. And it's one of the best Halloweens and held up as the best Halloween in recent memory until 2018 came along. I think that uh, you're right. I think it, it reintroduced in the next generation yeah. to, to the series, and that's why we still have it, and that's why we still care about it, and it, uh, it's, it's showing that the first one's standing the test of time. So I like this movie. I have fun with it, so don't take this rating as a bad thing. I'm giving it two and a half stars. It has problems, as I've talked about, but it doesn't mean you can't have a really good time with a two and a half star movie. So. Oh, yeah. So next time, we're going to get into a fun little conversation about which decade produced the best horror movies whether it was the 70s, 80s, 90s, or today. So look forward to that on the next time in a special Halloween episode. Uh, Chad, thank you so much. And Elizabeth, thank you, thank you so much for thank coming you. on for the first time. And um, we hope you had fun. I had a blast. Thanks, guys. Thank you. 
And to all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, we want to thank you, too, and invite you to reach out to us. We, we want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Particularly those Apple Podcasts review really help the show grow and help other people find the show when they search. So it takes 30 seconds, and it's a huge help to us. Give us a like on Facebook. We want to engage with you. Tell us uh, when we post all the stuff on the movies. Give us your thoughts on it. Email us at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com if you want to expand on greater thoughts or if you want to be on the show. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chad? Do you like scary movies? <laughs> <laughs>